Hey, hey, good morning. Good morning. Nice summer morning, isn't it? We uh, continue in our study of Luke. We get to talk about uh, the meal table today. You guys like the meal table, don't you? That's where uh, all the uh, social center uh, of homes are at, at the table. Think of some of your uh, greatest memories that you have in your life. A lot of them will go back to that table with uh, you're with your family. And uh, you think of Thanksgiving, you think of Christmas, and other times, holidays that you get together and you eat. You have a feast and a festival. You guys like those times? Yeah. Got a lot of memories there, right? Really good. Well, I'm going to tell you, this message today that uh, we have here with Jesus being at front and center, as He always is, uh, it's around the meal table. Jesus at the meal table in somebody's home, a prominent Pharisee's home, and you go, uh-oh. Uh, he was invited to there, and uh, he went. A lot of things took place at that table that day, and uh, none of them really were very pleasant at all. You ever had unpleasant times at the table? Not a good time, is it? Well, Jesus uh, healed a man in this Pharisee's home on the Sabbath, and uh, that was one of the things that took place. And of course, uh, as as you look at this, as he heals the man, Jesus then confronts his critics, the Pharisees, and as if that's not enough, he actually confronts the people that were invited to the table to this man's house, the dinner guest. They had sought for places of honor. And, as if that was not enough, he proceeded to rebuke the host for inviting, you know, the wrong guest. Actually, he invited guests, that's okay, but the ones that he didn't invite is what Jesus rebukes him about. And even later, it's not in our text today, but you'll see in verse 15, still at the table, one man shouted out, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And Jesus went on to make a comment about that, and that made it even more unpleasant because it said that there would be Jews shut out of the kingdom of God, and there would be Gentiles coming into the kingdom of God. And he's already said that before, says it again, and they are very angry. Jesus was one who was very confrontational. Do you like to confront people? i got a feeling nobody here really likes to do that. You probably had to do it. But sometimes it's like, I don't want to do it, but it has to be done. Right? Have we been there? We don't like that. We don't, want, we don't like to be confronted, do we? Just naturally. We, we, we hate that. Well, if you hang out with Jesus very long, and you look at Him through Scripture, you see that He confronts sin. And when it's there, He doesn't overlook it, and He doesn't wink at it. He confronts it and hits it right where it's at. He confronts my sin. He confronts the church's sin. He confronts the world's sin. 
He confronts your sin, doesn't He? It's a most unpleasant occasion at this table. And you could say, Jesus, you are to be a little more loving than this. You're noted for being nice and sweet and kind and gentle, which He is. But He's also one who is so kind that He will tell you that you have sinned against a holy God. It was not a time of friendly conversation and warm hospitality as this confrontation continued. You have the uh, silent sullenness of treachery of these Pharisees, the self-seekers that were there. And so it was not a pleasant meal they ate bread there. There's a tension here. You can feel it in the air. Have you noticed this in the book of Luke? Jesus seems to be not that nice, warm, fuzzy person that is like so easy just to jump in His lap and love Him. You see, Jesus hits hard with things like and pride and then using people for their own good you see he hates those people that are hypocrites that are religious and it's a kind of a God kind of hate our hate is usually taken wrong but God's hatred is perfect he hates religiosity that is done outside of Scripture and people try to make themselves look good. He's not always so nice, is He? And every text that we go into, you can almost fear losing people because they go, oh no, here we go again. This really can't be how Jesus is. Guess what? It is. He's a little bit harder than what we like. Does he have hard sayings? Yes, he does. Because he wants to get to truth. Uh, He doesn't want to leave people in their sins. People want to feel good. They want to be patted on the back and told how good they are. And granted, you know, uh, you guys know about encouragement. You know about all the ways that the church is to treat each other and, and everybody. We know that. So that's not set aside. So I go to an extreme that is a biblical extreme here about when people feel good about themselves and yet they're in their sin, do we want to leave them there? They're actually found wanting when the truth of the Word of God hits and that's what Jesus does. You know, He confronts us continually with our sin. It's safe to say that if you're not using Scripture, then you're not being confronted by your sin. And you feel better about yourself. And it would be safe to say that you're certainly not growing in Christ. Because the whole idea is to get rid of this junk, this self, deny self, forget yourself, take up the cross, follow Him. I mean, He's real. Jesus is not kidding. He's serious. And He tried to wake these people up and they just kept on going the same way that they were going. And they went right on into hell. 
Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, rulers, lawyers, Sadducees. Woe to you, all the people that come into the synagogue. And your lives never change. So, Scripture, it says in 2 Timothy 3.16, it's given for reproof and correction. If a builder came on a construction site, saw all sorts of rubble, oh, let's just take Jeff City. Go to where the tornado hit. Go to Donnie Braun's area or Riley Chevrolet. You know. Just go all over the city. See some of those places that were just shattered. They're going to rebuild. But what do they have to do first? They got to get rid of the rubble. Got to get rid of this stuff. That former self has to be taken care of. This is the way. We are to die daily to the flesh. So his word constantly confronts us. Now, granted, God's Word is balanced, isn't it? We don't go to one extreme and just stay on it. It would sound like we would be into legalism. But the fact of the matter is, if we don't get that stuff rooted out, how can we be built up? Right? And you know, it's a lifelong thing. We're getting stuff rooted out of us if we're His. Clean out the old life. Die daily. Let Him constantly confront us. And you know, every time that we get into the Word of God individually, say, Lord, help me, change me, whatever it is that's in my life that's not glorifying You, You show me and take it out of me. And that's how we should approach when we go into the Word of God, when we come together to worship here on Sundays. Do we do the same thing? Hopefully that the Word of God would cut right through us It's not meant for somebody else. It's meant for us. Each individual. To let Him cut through. I don't judge. I can't judge. I judge myself. And let God then judge me. But we do want God to come in to each one of us. And you know what can happen to a church? The more that sin is getting rid of and we want to be truthful with Christ and take Him seriously, We want Him to let Him just strip off the ugliness of our sin, our flesh. So that is what the text is about today. Dennis is just full of joy here today. (laughs) You know that we rejoice in this, don't we? Even when we read texts like this, it is good. It's a good thing. It's a joy to get into His Word. So let's stand. Let's take our Bibles and let's read this text. Starting a new chapter, aren't we? Alright. Chapter 14. It happened that when He went into the house of one of the leaders of the Pharisees on the Sabbath to eat bread, they were watching Him closely. And there in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. Jesus answered, spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they kept silent. And he took hold of him, healed him, sent him away. And he said to them, which one of you will have a son 
or an ox fall into a well and will not immediately pull him out on a Sabbath day? And they could make no reply to this. And he began speaking a parable to the invited guest when he noticed how they had been picking out the places of honor at the table, saying to them, When you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take place... uh, Take the place of honor for someone more distinguished than you may have been invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this man, and then in disgrace you proceed to occupy the last place. But when you are invited, go and recline at the last place. So when the one who has invited you comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher, then you'll have honor in the sight of all who are at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. He also went on to say to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, otherwise they may also invite you in return. And that will be your repayment. But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Since they do not have the means to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Let's pray. Father, your word is precious. We highly elevate it in our own minds, our thinking. It is high above everything. It endures forever. Speak it today to us through Your Spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Chapter 14. First section, first six verses. And we get into something that we have seen before. I think this is the third time. We have a healing on the Sabbath can heal any other day but not the Sabbath, as one man last said, I think in the last chapter. And you go, okay, what do we do with this one? We keep hearing this. We know about that. What, what relevance does it have to us? The Sabbath is on a Saturday. It's a Jewish day. You know, what about us, uh, the church here? Well, we'll try to look at this in a way that can help us. At the same time, we'll look at what's going on there. The meal took place on the Sabbath. Is that okay to do? Yeah. Actually, they're eating, it says, uh, bread because you couldn't cook on the Sabbath, as so they said. So they had bread, there were people there, and a confrontation is getting ready to happen because Jesus is going to make it happen. Dealing with legality of healing the meal or healing a man on the Sabbath. Jesus accepted dinner invitations, went to Pharisees' homes, he went to other people's homes. Nothing wrong with that. He went to an unbeliever's house, knowing that there would be other people there that would be against him, and he took the opportunity. He didn't just go there to socialize, though. It's not a social party that he's here for. He's on a mission, and he's here to please the Father. Father has a plan, so um, we must remember that we too are going to take the gospel to the lost. We too 
do not really want to be there just for the socialization. You can talk about common things, whether it be baseball, be something I'd be familiar with, music or something. You know, if they have something in common or whatever. If you, do. if you don't, you talk about the news or whatever. You better be careful about that. Everything's controversial probably, but uh, the thing is, what are you really there for? get the opportunity that something could influence them, hopefully, maybe even words, right? that you'd get the opportunity to share what the gospel and the kingdom is all about. If you uh, socialize with unbelievers, make one thing for certain, sure, that you go with the sense of mission and prepare to speak out boldly for Christ when that time comes. You will, uh, if you go there just to socialize and not have that mission, what will happen? Well, you will end up compromising your faith. We've all been there. We've compromised our faith. If you could draw back into a worldly behavior, and they will be influencing you. Bad company corrupts good morals. So Jesus is not there to be changed Himself. He is there to change people. That's His mission. Do we have a mission? You betcha. We have a mission of the Gospel of the Kingdom of God, like He did. Now, get into this. It happened when He went into the house of one of the leaders of the Pharisees. Uh, By Jewish standards, the Pharisee was a representative of God. It's the high position that you could be in, a very high position, Pharisees were considered by the people to be good. They were considered to be moral. They were ones who wanted to follow the law to the nth degree. The people were sure that these Pharisees were the favorites of God. And so, um, you know, in one sense, it's good to have moral, upright, fundamental type people. We ourselves identify with that. That's what we want. But the difference is, and we've seen it so many times, is that Pharisees were doing it outwardly. How did they start? It was really a good thing as they had started. They really came to fruition around 160 B.C. because the Roman culture and the Greek culture was coming into the nation of Israel. Does this sound familiar? The world's culture comes into the United States. What do we do with it? Well, a lot of people start buying in to those cultures and the things that they do that can eventually be ungodly. Paganistic, as a matter of fact. So these, there were a group of people that became very concerned what was going on in the nation. These are Jews, for the most part. They're Israelites. Their problem is is that they were becoming very immoral at that time. Their philosophies that they were grabbing hold of, superstitions, it was very seductive to them, and so they followed suit with that. And so the Jews became influenced by the Greek and Roman culture. The uh, Pharisees collected with themselves and uh, Pharisees became a name that meant separatist that that can be good 
uh, the first Puritans really were called separatists. They were separating from what was going on in the church in England. And they separated from that kind of worship. It was idol worship. You know, you had statues, you had incense burning, and all sorts of different things were in the church that shouldn't have been there. People wanted to separate and get away from that. It eventually turned into the Puritans that we know and that came over here into America. They had to separate from what they knew to be uh, ungodly things that was going on in that. So during this Maccabean time, this is what developed. It was a movement. It was a good movement. It was a back-to-the-Bible movement. Pharisees, it was a good start. It had a lot of good things. It was a restoration movement. It was a movement of recovery. They were lay people. They were not priests. Just people getting together, wanting to do right things and honoring God. So they basically dominated the synagogues. The synagogues came out of the time of... Uh, Babylon whenever they were captured there and so they didn't have a temple so they met there and whenever they went into the land of Israel they were scattered all over Israel and they had synagogues to go to to meet, to read the word to pray, to sing uh, to actually as they read the Bible the scrolls they would then tell you what it meant it's kind of like Nehemiah 8. And they just—they really did verse by verse. They explained, they read the Word, then they explained it. And they brought forth application. And that's really what was happening in the synagogue. Did that sound like church to you? That's really kind of what it was. That's what Pharisees were doing at that time. That kind of surprises you, doesn't it? Started in in really good uh, in a good way. They called people to be faithful to Scripture instead of going the pagan way that was coming in. And then as time went on, good things must come to an end. They wanted the people to be faithful and righteous, so they explained it into their own laws, and they wrote laws. And see, they more or less hired lawyers and scribes because the Pharisees were basically, they were lay people, the ordinary normal person, but they needed people to come in who could really interpret the law and get it right. And that's whenever extra things started coming out about the Word of God. The Word of God is alone, isn't it? There are no other books that come equal to it. We only use the Bible here as pertaining to the worship of God. Now we read good books. That's to help us to understand, but it's not our law. The law is here. And so, you know, we're all familiar with this deal with the Sabbath, aren't we? We're familiar with that. I'm not going to spend any time on it this morning about that, but we do know it was ritualistic. It was also legalistic mumbo-jumbo, what they came up with on what the Sabbath was or anything else. And they had 613 laws that they added on to. Uh, scripture says don't add to the Word or subtract. He who does that, what will happen to him? They will be cursed. And so that's what they did. That's what came at that time. And that's why Jesus came on. And who was the one group of people that He rebuked heavily? Woe to you, scribes, you hypocrites, you Pharisees, you lawyers. 
Sadducees, the leaders of the religious people, because they were leading people to go right into hell where they were going. And what did Jesus say about that? That's why He is so heavy in a situation like this at the table. I have brought the Gospel forth to people who said they were Christians, and you probably have done the same thing, and then you start questioning them and say, well, have you repented of your sins? Have you really repented and confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord in every avenue? Is He true? Is He the one that you really believe in and you live for? Well, you come find out they've got this in their life, they've got that and that and that. Well, we're all sinners, we know that. And so we're not to be self-righteous. But if it takes one sin to bring it out, say, okay, you know, I'm a sinner, but I want to show that you are too and you're lost. If you haven't trusted in Christ, if you really haven't trusted, and do you know what? If you get to that one sin that really stands out and everybody notices it, you get to that, do you know what? Either they will say, you know, you're right. I need help. Or they will say, no, that's not true at all. I don't have any problem with it. Whatever they do or don't do, right? Okay. And so the thing is, if that sin issue is not taken in a humble way and they're struck at the heart, what happens? They get very very angry. And it's like, my humanness says, I don't. I don't want to make people hurt and feel bad and get mad. And some people would say, you're unloving Jesus. Or uh, unloving, not like what Jesus is, right? Well, I'm not trying to be that way, but I I, I can say I want to be really loving and say, if they're lost, they need Christ and they need to repent of their sin. Sounds heavy. But I didn't make up the Gospel. I have to be true to what it says to get that person to really what they are because they have thought all along that they were going okay. I believe in Jesus. Well, how come you don't go to church? Well, I don't really need to. I believe in Him and so you know, I just, I just worship Him all the time. And then you start addressing the issue. Well, did you know that it's a sin if you don't go to church? Oh, well, you know, there's hypocrites in the church. <laughs> See, that's that's where Jesus got at. He wanted to show their real hypocrisy and they were trapped. And either they repented right there or they really got mad at Him. So a lot of those people that I've talked to, they never wanted to talk to me again. Has that ever happened to you guys? I'm not alone, am I? You'd say, well, you don't have to take this so seriously. Week after week, we look at this, and it's real serious. It's not something to play around with. ADR, your aren't right? That's what Jesus is doing here. Well, those Sabbath things were quite the burden. It was hung all over them. Poor people. They were being led into this, and they thought these Pharisees and such were the greatest. Now, this is one of the leaders. One of the leaders of the Pharisee. This guy is like at the top. One of the leaders of the Pharisees. He's very prominent, isn't he? Would you say that he would get high esteem from people in Israel? Yeah. All of his peers would give him high esteem. So they're eating. This would be like... uh, 
think of a, a meal that you might have today. Where you go home after church, or you stop at a restaurant or whatever, you know, you, you sit at a table, you might have some friends around you. That is a normal thing. That's a good thing, isn't it? When you when you get together occasionally, or we have our fellowship meals. It's next week, isn't it? It's nice to get around that table and just talk and share and brothers and sisters. It's a, it's a, that's the way that we learn how to operate in the church. Well, that's what they're doing there after after a synagogue. They go to this man's house to eat bread. I got to feel that it wasn't unleavened bread. It's actually that loaf of bread that comes up like that. You guys all like that, don't you? Unless you're gluten-free. <laughs> but they don't have gluten-free problems there in Israel today, I understand, because they don't mess up the uh, the, the wheat <laughs> like we do here. The GMO stuff, you've heard of that. Anyway, they're watching. They're watching Jesus. That means to lurkingly watch Jesus. It's almost like they're staring at him. That's the idea. It's exaggerated, I know, but you know they're not going like this. They're che- they're going to see what he's going to do next. They know he's going to do something. He always gets controversy going. Christians get controversy going, don't they? It means to watch with suspicion. You know, they're going to do something. They want to do set him up. Would you say that this is called a trap? This is another trap. He's never trapped. He's invited to this Pharisee's house for one reason, so they could watch him. They watched every move to expose him, and they know that their laws are going to be broken. So some of them probably have their... Do they have notes back then that they would take? Little scrolls like like this. Writing this down so we can get this to Jerusalem and tell the guys there. The trap. A man was invited, says in verse 2, to this place. Something very, very funny is going on here. Because this is not a guy... Pharisees or hardly anybody else would invite to this feast that they're having. Fellowship meal. Why? Because he has a dropsy. I'll get into that in a second. What's a dropsy? Well, to the Jews, somebody coming in like this would have been out it's put outside because he would be considered to be a vile, wicked sinner. Because he has this dropsy. Uh, it's unclean, it means. Probably means he's very immoral. They don't invite guys like that. But this time they do. Probably see him off the street and say, hey, come in here. Push him in the door. And where is he at? Right in front of Jesus. Make sure that Jesus is going to see him. You know, Jesus doesn't need any help with that. Right there. You know, they had these couches that they would sit on. Kind of a reclining kind of thing. And 
you know, right at the front, and then you'd have other couches that would be there, and I don't know, they would seat as many as six, eight, nine people, pretty long. And they would eat there, as there would be this table that would be kind of U-shaped. That's what we understand, probably, was what's going on to get that many people. And so... This man has the dropsy. You ever heard of, of edema? You know what edema is? It's where your one is bloated because of serious fluids. It's a water retention. It's very uncomfortable. And so it's not really a disease in itself, but it's a symptom of a disease. It's kind of like um, the liver has a problem and you start bloating up, swelling up. It's the liver or the kidneys, or even worse, the heart. And probably indicates congestive heart failure. If you've heard of that, you've probably been in a hospital, and the nurses tell you that your dad has congestive heart failure. And what they're really saying is that they're probably not going to be living very long. They don't say that, but... Most people that have that are not in good shape at all and they are just swollen up. Uh, the fluids uh, uh, in, in a tissue in the body cavity just bloating up. So that's where the band's at in this place. They just drug him in there and set him right where Jesus would be sitting. Jesus just starts unmasking their hypocrisy. And he starts it up basically... He says, come on, give me your law. Come on, tell me now. Um, verse 3. Lawyers, Pharisees. These are the elite. Remember, this is one of the leaders. Uh, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Now, does he know what they're going to say? Yeah, absolutely. He's going to say, it's unlawful. They don't say anything here. Because they want him to sin against their law. Now, what kind of a leader of a synagogue or Pharisees who are supposed to be righteous, they wouldn't want people to sin, would they? Well, they want Jesus to. Now, he's not going to sin because it's not a law that's being broken as far as God is concerned. So, if they keep silent, they're better off because if they say, well, yes, it's uh, it, it's illegal to, to do that. Well, what's that going to make them look like? That they're unloving. They don't care about the man. Well, it's true. They don't care about this man at all. They could care less about this guy. So, if, if but if they say, uh, yes, uh, go ahead and heal him. It's, it's okay. That's not against the law. Well, that would be going against the very grain of what this is all about. So what did they do? They just kept silent. They probably should just keep silent all the time. <laughs> so what did Jesus do? <clears throat> he took hold of him and healed him. Sent him away. Now that word take hold. Uh-oh. 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 <laughs> Goodness gracious. 
And he was paying attention. Watch out if you're not paying attention out there. That's what he did. He actually came up, and I'm sure the man is probably thinking just like what Bob thought right there. Well, you know, he's already, you know, feeling terrible, and you know, Jesus come and that's the idea that he, you know, that he took a hold of him here. That that word is epilumbano. When you have epa, it really means to really do it. You know, it's a pawn. It's a preposition on that lumbano. He literally wrapped this man up. He's bloated with sick organs. This ep, uh, edema that he has, he did it without hesitation, Jesus did. He, he did it forcefully. He did it unmistakably. Everybody saw it. Instead of keeping his distance and just kind of healing the man where nobody would know, and the man's like, wow, I feel a lot better. No, everybody saw Did you guys see what I just did to Bob? Yeah. Everybody saw that. You guys were, what in the world is Dennis doing? I hope I'm healed, though. Bob is healed. He's just reading the Bible and somebody attacks him. Thank you, Bob. I can't do that to everybody. You're you know what Jesus did? He seized him. It's almost like he he did more than what I just did there. It's almost like he crushed the man in, in the sense that, you know, I mean, he's squeezing him forcefully. You know what he does? He gives him a new liver. He gives him a if that or a new uh, a new heart, spiritual new heart, a whole new set of internal organs. Everything's fine. It's great. Healed him, and he sent him away. Why, why would Jesus send him away? You know, I mean, the man is there, and it's like, hey, he's a living witness right there. He says, "Go ahead, go." You know what I think? I think, for one thing, the man is thinking, "Boy, I can't wait to show show my wife what happened." Look, I mean, he's in great condition now. He's perfect physically. And he's probably, you know, how about his family? How about neighbors? you got to check this out. Look at this, guys. I'm okay. Jesus says, go ahead, go. It's all right. And the man goes. Wow. Um, Jesus could have said, hey, hey, wait a minute. Stay for lunch. you know, you got to eat something here. Okay, okay. But he can't wait to go. You know? Uh, well, what do you get out of the Pharisees? But they kept silent. They're still silent. Right? So they kept silent. Verse 4, it took them, hold them, and healed them, and sent them away. And he said to them, Which of you will have a son or an ox? Fall into a well, will not immediately pull him out on a Sabbath day. And they could, uh, and they could make no reply to this. You betcha. Nobody's going to say anything. What can they say? Uh, common sense reasoning here. They're absolutely humiliated, folks. Hypocrites. Let, let's let's look at a few things about hypocrites. You have it on the outline there. I don't know if we got five or six of them or whatever. Uh, you could go on and on, but uh, hypocrites don't apply the word to themselves. Does that make sense? What is a hypocrite? Well, they believe in the word. Man, do they believe in the Word. Matter of fact, they can be a fundamentalist. 
nothing wrong with that word, but the thing is, it's kind of been known to take on a legalistic pattern in our times. And so when somebody's fundamental anymore, you really can't... You know, but they hold to the fundamentals of the faith. I think it's a great word. It's too bad it's been abused. They use the word for ammo against others. But they don't confront their own sin by it. They use it to get to others. Number two, hypocrites try to bring down anyone who confronts them. Instead of saying, Oh, right. You are right. Jesus, I never have seen it this way. Thank you for showing what a sinner I am. The Word of God (laughs) standing right before them. He is the Word, the living Word. And look what He did. He invites you know, um, this man who had this house, he invites Jesus to dinner really to try to set him up. He's a leader. He's in on this, folks. He and all of these cronies there are trying to trip him up. It's the whole plan. It's the whole idea. Pharisees don't care about the hurting man. We brought that forth. Uh, Jesus is breaking their rules. What a shame, right? He's not breaking the law whatsoever. But their rules. Hypocrites usually care more about external conformity to uh, a righteousness. They have an external righteousness, but inwardly it's not there. So they're not concerned whether they please God but they just want everyone to follow the rules about how they look and what they do. What's another thing about hypocrites? Well, they bend the rules for themselves because they make the rules so hard and so impossible sometimes that they have to adjust those for themselves. And one of them happens to be the Sabbath day traveling. How do they get around that? I think it was like a half a mile as far as they could walk. Boy, a lot of people would be troubled to meet on the synagogue, wouldn't they? Because I'm sure there were people that lived beyond that. So a lot of them would go out of their way and stay with relatives on Friday night so they could go to synagogue on Saturday because they lived a mile away. The Pharisees stretched this out. If you have people on your block could be a half mile down or people that extended on way beyond that street out in the country that that's a half mile didn't even start until you got to that point that's stretching the rule that they made but they can do that see that's they get around that sounds familiar doesn't it hypocrites ignore evidence to stay in their sin the evidence was just done he was sitting there as a man of dropsy, a demon, and in a moment's time, he was walking out of there in a perfect condition. Everybody saw it. Jesus made sure, because he got a hold of him, everybody knows it. Evidence is there. Why didn't they say, instead of be silent saying, my Lord and my God. 
Why did they plop on their knees and start worshiping Him right there? But they, just like all the other ones before, want to either... They don't deny it because everybody saw it. There's too many witnesses. But it must be from the devil. Now, second section. Did, did Jesus just confront hypocrisy? He did it, didn't He? Boy, did He confront it. He'd say, was, was that very wise for Him to do? I mean, He has a crowd and He's making people mad. Everywhere He goes now, He's making people more and more mad. They want to kill Him everywhere He goes, right? And as it goes on here, and look, folks, we've read it. It doesn't get any better. People are really turning against Him. Even the ones who had been following Him are turning against Him because, man, He just creates problems everywhere He goes. I don't know about this dude. So, now He's going to confront pride. Pride and hypocrisy go together, don't they? Well, this is about a parable. And it's about taking places of honor at the table. That's really what people want. They want to be up in high places. They want places where they really shouldn't seat themselves. And really, ultimately, it's really talking about entering the kingdom of God. Jesus is not just giving us practical wisdom as we live in this life, although that is there. But really, His preaching is going beyond earthly things, and that's why He tells a parable. A parable, parabole, of course, is it really comes down to taking an earthly story that everybody can understand and then illustrating heavenly principles. He lays down this principle that comes from the kingdom by telling an earthly story. Parabole. To throw it alongside an earthly, you know, this to, to give an earth, uh, a heavenly truth here. So he observes the Pharisees. He turns the tables here, and they've been watching him. And now he's watching them, and he confronts this time the invited guests. Now you're at a gathering. Let's say you're even at a wedding feast, and that somebody just stands up, starts ridiculing confronting somebody like the leaders that are there. Now he confronts the guests. Whoa! What's going on here? How would you like to be in that crowd? Well, yeah, okay, the Pharisees have that coming. And all of a sudden you get hit right in the gut. Because you've been confronted with your own sin. Poxy and pride, they're related sins. Those who keep outward appearances to impress others because they're self-focused. Focused on self and their sins. They keep up this outward appearance. They want to be noticed by others. They want to be approved by man to look really good and to gain honor for themselves. Turn to Matthew chapter 23. And this is a section that is nothing but scathing rebukes to these leaders. Starting at verse 5. 
But they do all their deeds to be noticed by men, for they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of their garments. They love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues, and respectful greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by men. But do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher and you are all brothers. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father. He who is is in heaven. Do not be called leaders, for one is your leader, that is Christ, but the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. He can go on. He condemns them, and he starts saying, The woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites. Because you shut off the kingdom of heaven. We could read that all the way through there. All you'll see, like on each verse, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. You know what that means? Condemned you are. You are judged. What does that mean? It's too late for them. And that that's where they want to be. That's what they want. Woe to you. Even though they think they're going into the kingdom. Jesus said, you're not going into the kingdom. Woe to you. So he starts with this parable. Um, look, oh, by the way, look in Luke 20, verse 46. Later on, Jesus says something that is almost the same thing. Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love respectful greetings in the marketplaces and chief seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets. I mean, they love this. This is really why they exist. Because people are going to put them up high and they love it. They're very prideful. Hugely private. Prideful people. Jesus says... I want you to go to the lowest place at the table and sit there. Uh, he's not trying to bring forth a self-focusing scheme as say, okay, listen, if I sit at the, the lowest part, then they'll send me to the top. That's a, there again, that would be the same kind of prideful hypocrisy that's going on. To, to take the worst seat uh, because you know that, oh, that will elevate me. Somebody will come along and bring me on up there. He says, everyone before God ought to feel that the lowest place is the proper place for Him. You know what he's really saying? We're all on the same level. We all are to be humble. There is nobody worthy to take the highest seat. Remember James and John and their mother? They wanted to sit right by Jesus. One on one side, one on the other. Jesus says, that's not for me to give. It's the Father. Look at Proverbs 25, 6 and 7. Do not claim honor in the presence of the King. Do not stand in the place of great men, for it's better that it be said to you, come up here than for you to be placed lower in the presence of the prince. It's kind of the idea there. Jesus is really getting at that. Gets to the verse 11. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. 
Now, if you're, be, if you're given a seat to sit in, that's where you go. Jesus is not being ridiculous here. You know, but what he's, what he's really pointing to is the kingdom. You have to be humble. Humble is the key. That means to be brought low. It means when one is confronted with sin, they go, that's me. I see my sin. And I see that this has been brought forth to me in truth. And I know it. I repent. I change. I am lowly. There is nothing about me that can get into the kingdom of God on its own. I'm nothing. That is the idea that Jesus is trying to put forth all the way through here. This is what the kingdom is about. That one would recognize that they're nothing. The proud trust in themselves. They trust in their rules and they follow their rules. But they will be brought low before God. One day. The humble are the ones who recognize their sin. They cry out to Jesus for mercy. You know what mercy means? It's people who are in desperate need. They're desperate. They need mercy. Biblical humility is a recognition that apart from Christ, I can do nothing. That's in John 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. John 15, verse 5. Humility is always accompanied by a growing awareness throughout our Christian lives about the depths of my own sinfulness. You have a sheet here about man's sanctification and God's works. Throughout our Christian lives, this was uh, this is July's newsletter. Throughout our Christian lives, we are to become more and more aware of our sin against God. You say, boy, I never knew that was a sin. Lord, do something about this. Help me here. Right? That's sanctification. It's being more and more set apart. Christians don't stay the same. They keep changing for the glory of God as He works in them, as the Holy Spirit works that out. And so, you know, we were in bondage to sin. Now sin can be filtered out as God works in us. That's an ongoing sanctification. There's a one-time sanctification that's really where we're justified, but there's an ongoing sanctification. That is what it is. And you know what? We find ourselves even more lower. William Carey, one of the greatest missionaries, had this to be inscribed on his tombstone. Today this would be laughed at for all the self-esteemers. But I think it is correct. I think he had the right idea. He gave himself up to go take the Gospel to people. He said, A wretched, poor, and helpless worm on thy kind arms I fall. He called himself a wretch. He was poor. He was a helpless worm. Your kind arms 
I fall. Did he have the right view of himself? Deny yourself. Take up the cross, follow me. That's William Carey. Scripture thoroughly confronts our pride, our hypocrisy, and it continually calls us to humble ourselves. I don't think we have a problem with the seating. Matter of fact, most of us would probably take the back seat. <laughs> the reason I'm saying that, I'm not, you know, it, it, we're not going to go up there and sit right up in the front seat. Now, there are some people that still do that. But I think what he's really aiming at is this is where I'm pointing to. The kingdom. That's why he told parables. He's taking something in a way they could understand earthly, but with heavenly principle. And that's really the ultimate of what it is. Yeah, that's a good principle to go by in, in this life. Yeah, you know. But we are to be humbled. Number three. Last three verses here. We've seen hypocrisy confronted by Jesus as He spoke to the Pharisees, we see that pride is confronted as He talked to the guests. Boy, He's becoming popular at this table, isn't He? (laughs) Now He gets on to the guy who invited the people. He just gets in there and just rips everybody apart. Oh, they're feeling good as they walk out of this party. Jesus confronts self-gain hospitality. Jesus doesn't stop with rebuking the guest for their sinful pride. He goes right to the host and rebukes him. He's already been rebuked along with the Pharisees. Now, he's also the host. He uses people, not loves them. Remember the dropsy dude that came in? Used him. He wouldn't have brought him in any other time, would he have? He didn't care about this guy. Matter of fact, as far as he's concerned, let him die. Right? If we invite people just because they will return the favor and will make us go up the ladder, more power to us, right? That was the game they played. They would invite people, they'd invite the rich people that were even above them and bring them in so those people then would advance them. Does that sound familiar? Does that happen? It's called reciprocity. Got a reciprocal effort going on here. Uh, Rich neighbors will return the favor. Jesus is addressing the pride and the superiority and the self-seeking that He saw in their separation. What they did was the, the invited people, there are getting um, shown that you did this because you wanted to make yourself go up the ladder and I guess you could say reciprocity rules ethics and action amongst the Pharisees. It was kind of a gift obligation system. If you get a gift from somebody, then that gift then is returned in another way. It's kind of like a currency that helped them move on up. Every gift had strings attached to it. So to accept an invitation was to agree to an equal obligation. 
return a favor somehow. You didn't invite somebody who couldn't pay you back. That's the idea. You only invite people that can help you out. What's the motive? The motive is about self. Do you see all of these right here? That's the problem. They're not dying to selves. They're trying to build self up in its own way. Can't do that. It's working the opposite way. This is what Jesus is saying. It's like, well, listen, he went out and, and invited these guys at least. And he did invite the, uh, the dropsy guy. Yeah, we know why. Was it because he loved him? Do you remember the Pharisee in Luke 18? I thank you, God, that I'm not like that guy over there. Do you remember that at the temple? That man over there is crying out for mercy. Be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. The religious man really isn't a sinner as far as he's concerned. Thank you, God, that I am like I am. I'm good. I'm religious. I read the Bible every night. And woe to that man who just said that, right? The man over here is is humbled, saying, Lord, I'm a sinner. Only you, you can save me. I cry out to you. I am helpless. I'm a helpless worm. Who was the one who was going to go to the kingdom? The one who was a helpless worm. The one who needed mercy. Everybody needs mercy. Even the religious need mercy. If they don't recognize it, what does that mean? They are very prideful. And they will not let their pride be broken. This is every man, woman, child that's ever lived in the history of this world. They need mercy. And only the ones that recognize that and want it are going to be led into the kingdom. The ones who don't recognize that they need mercy will be outside the kingdom of God. Their system comes crushing down. God judges the proud. He blesses the humble. It says in verse 13, But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Wouldn't be the people that can repay you back. You're not going to get anything out of this. Only there is honor coming. They're not going to be able to pay you a cent. But take care of those people. Don't forget about them, right? And then he says, you will be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Eternal reward. If you were to humble yourselves to the degree that you would give evidence of having this kind of heart that is prepared to enter the kingdom, the Lord is speaking about eternity. Speaking of the kingdom. And that's what the righteous uh, that are at, at the resurrection uh, of the righteous indicates right here. The resurrection of the righteous. John 5, 28 and 29. So we get ready to close out here. The judge 
Christ. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and will come forth those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life Good deeds being the works of Christ that He gave for you to do. And out of its obedience. Those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. It indicates that they were evil. It shows their heart. Their works show the heart. I can do nothing on my own initiative as I hear. I judge and my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will. But the will of Him who sent me. There's the judgment. All be judged. It's made real simple there. The ones who are not believers are cast out. The ones who are believers and they show forth that they were believers, they will be exalted. True humility will bring you into true exaltation. That's serious. Look in James chapter 4, verse 6. But He who gives a greater grace, therefore it says, God is opposed to the proud. The ones who are going to get to heaven, they don't need God's grace. They can do it by their own way. God is opposed to them. But what does He do to the others? He gives grace to the humble. Submit therefore to God. Grace to the humble. This is what this is all about. It's pointing to the kingdom. Salvation has always been to the humble. They recognize that they need God. They they are broken. They have a contrite heart. They plead for mercy. They plead for grace. Have you done it? Just going to close with some reminders. And they're based right out of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit. They recognize they have nothing to offer God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. A Christian lives out the attributes, those those attitudes there. Those are characteristics of believers. They have that in heart. It's not that they do that and then they get rewarded. It's because they are that. This is their nature. It's all about being bankrupt spiritually and knowing it and then desiring mercy. It's about weeping over your condition. There are 
repenting. It's about meekness. That's the way into the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the words of Christ that was given here in this passage that was it's been recorded for us to read it was something that actually happened that sabbath day as he convicts everyone in that room that they needed to be humbled before they would be exalted because everyone there was about their own self-exaltation thank you lord for this message about the kingdom of god Thank You that Jesus confronts us daily the sin that's in our lives and He keeps us clean. Praise You. And may this day glorify You as the saints live about their daily lives. In Jesus' name, Amen.